Hi, everyone, and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Vet Method podcast, where we bring team training concepts to independent veterinary practice owners who want to grow revenues through a high-performance team. My name is Sanjay Mangabai, and I'm really honored to be joined today by Brian Faulkner. Hi, Brian. Welcome. Hi, Sanjay. Thank you for having me. So um, whereabouts are you today? Well, I'm at home in East Suffolk, where I live in East Anglia, East Suffolk, right out the most easterly point of the UK. Okay, so you're pretty close to the coast, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. My veterinary practice is literally 300 yards from the coast. Ah, lucky for you. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, Brian has been a veterinary surgeon for over 25 years and has set up and developed five veterinary practices. He has been the Pet Plan UK Vet of the Year and President of the UK Society of Practicing Veterinary Surgeons. Brian has an MBA, works as a practice management consultant and communications psychologist, and is honorary associate professor in veterinary business, uh, sorry, in veterinary business at Nottingham University. He is also the founder of Colorful CPD, an online CBD provider um, of veterinary training all over the world, and also the founder of the British Veterinary Receptionist Association, creating the, the accredited Veterinary Receptionist Award. In 2020, Brian was awarded Fellowship of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons in recognition of outstanding contribution to clinical practice. And as if that wasn't enough, Brian also runs marathons. In 2017, he ran 10 marathons in 10 consecutive days. And in August 2020, he ran 31 marathons in 31 days, all for charity. Wow, Brian, that's, uh, that's just incredible. I, I have no words. <laughs> so many accolades, so many achievements. Um, you know, for a mere mortal like me, I think it would take more than a few lifetimes to do half as much. Are you still running the marathons? Or I'm, still sure it's patholog- I'm sure it's pathological, Sanjay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and, you know, you know, I don't know where you find the energy, you know, physical and mental, and, uh, and uh, you're still not done yet. So that's just, uh, it's just incredible. So the title of the podcast is Colorful's CPD 4x4 Philosophy. And we're going to talk to people about that for the next few minutes. All right, Brian. Our time starts now. So question number one, who is your ideal client? Well, I work with a range of clients and the client can be the practice or the business owner, or it can be an individual within that. And that sort of leads into that four by four idea. And what that four by four means is four outcomes. So clinical resolution, client satisfaction, financial resolution and colleague satisfaction. So if you like clinical, client, financial and team outcomes and the four roles in practice, vets, nurses, reception and management, everybody must contribute in their own way to those four outcomes. So I help practices develop those outcomes at a strategic level and I help individuals contribute to them, be they vets, nurses or receptionists. So there, my clients go from big to the very individual. Fantastic. Perfect. And that leads us nicely onto question number two. What's the biggest problem you solve for your clients, Brian? So it's non-clinical. That's the focus. So I am a clinician. I'm still a working vet, still working to practice three and a half days a week. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that certainly with the vet head is we love this clinical idea. That's where obviously the technical problems are. Mm-hmm. But one of the things with my other non-veterinary degrees, so you mentioned my MBA as well as my master's in psychology, mm-hmm. is what I realized through that research and education 
was that so much we can improve our clinical work a lot if we harness and leverage non-clinical skill. So the problems I help them with, and sometimes they don't realize that's the problem, but that's part of the diagnostic, is helping them realize that a lot of the issues they're struggling with are non-clinical in context. They may manifest in a clinical scenario, but they're actually non-clinical. So of those four outcomes, clinical, client, financial, and team, three of them are non-clinical. So client satisfaction, discussion, social issues with clients, uh-huh. financial of course and then team morale and colleague and leadership connected to that and well-being so a lot of those are non-clinical issues but they manifest as part of the clinical context absolutely that's so true you know you know um i've always uh, tried to help new graduates in particular and say that the clients you know you won't get to help the pet if you can't get through to the client and it's all those non-clinical skills that you need to get through to the you know to the client I believe that in veterinary medicine, one of the biggest pitfalls is a failure to communicate adequately, to explain stuff, you know, what are we doing, why are we doing it, how are we going to do it, so that a client actually understands and gives us kind of permission, if you like, to go ahead and use those clinical skills that we were taught at university. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Um, Connected to the explaining, though, sometimes this assumption that more communication is better communication. So. The hallmark of a good communicator is someone who uses fewer, better words. Fantastic. So fewer, better words. One of the diseases I see, one of the diseases, symptoms I see is that vets in their desperation to persuade the client of their knowledge is sometimes they can over explain. Okay. And actually that motive is not always to help them understand the clinical decision making. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes often motivated by, please believe I know what I'm doing by all this knowledge I'm imparting. But clients can come out overwhelmed and go, actually, all I wanted to know were the top three suspects of the, the, the symptoms, okay. the, the two or three options I had, and what you think vet would be the best way to go. Absolutely. Succinct, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, and that's an important distinction. You know, it's, it's, it's akin to using those technical terms, you know, that we think make us look good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. No. Okay, um, and question number three, what are the typical symptoms that people experience with that problem you just described? So connected to the outcomes that I'm aiming to achieve, so good clinical resolution, client satisfaction, financial resolution means making the money side work, and then colleague satisfaction, including well-being, mm-hmm. is really the absence or the opposite of those. So clinical, I'm not going to focus too much on, of course, that's the nature of our technical education, but mm-hmm. the symptoms of poor ability to connect with clients and communicate is dissatisfaction. So I define client satisfaction is when a client perceives that what they've been told and sold is the right thing for a fair price. The challenge is those things, those words right and fair are very subjective. Mm -hmm. Any vet will know you give the same speech, the same consultation to a client and three reactions. Thank you very much, that's excellent. Mm, I'm not sure, or I entirely disagree. Mm-hmm. So the right and fair is very subjective. So what happens is if we don't understand that subjectivity and communicate relatively tangible things, mm-hmm. i.e. hard science, but in a way that makes the client make sense. So client dissatisfaction, financial, of course, ask any vet who has to work in a for-profit um, environment, money is the most common complaint that we have. Mm-hmm. It's often not the price, it's the value. It's about helping clients understand value. And I could go into that in whole podcast ourselves, but it's not the price. We tend to think clients don't like prices, 
but it's actually understanding the value. And then the third of my four outcomes, or the third of the non-clinical ones, is the colleague satisfaction, which means that we kind of diminish team morale when the communication and leadership isn't good enough, and we kind of diminish sense of well-being. And veterinary is inherently stressful because it contains two core themes of stress, mm -hmm. uncertainty and urgency. And that's my stress equation. Stress equals uncertainty multiplied by urgency. Mm -hmm. And if we don't manage those things or at least develop awareness of them, is that we end up allowing a naturally uncertain and urgent situation to potentially overwhelm us. Wow. Yeah. And you know, I'd love to talk to you more about that in a whole different podcast, but there's so much dissatisfaction, it appears, in the whole veterinary industry at the moment and with recruitment yeah. the way it is it's just magnifying all that and uh, yeah that makes you know all those symptoms you describe are so are so important you know the whole financial thing the whole dissatisfaction that the clients feel and the dissatisfaction then that the the, the team feels in that they just uh, can't deliver what they feel they ought to fantastic okay and question number four what are the common mistakes that people make when trying to solve that problem? You know, the things that they thought were going to work, but were never actually going to. So what I've been describing are around clinical problems mm -hmm. and what the common reaction I see to struggling with many of those contextual issues, non-clinical issues, is they pick up another clinical textbook. Ah. You will not find the solution to client dissatisfaction, financial complaining about the bill and even your own sense of morale in a cardiology dermatology ophthalmology textbook yeah, and the message is if you invest a tiny proportion 10% of your CPD I would actually recommend much more but let's just start gently 10% of your CPD into non-clinical issues which mm -hmm. are the ones that keep you awake at night mm -hmm. what's that client thinking about me are they going to complain will they pay the bill why are we having politics and morale issues at work? All those things that keep us awake at night is that if we invest a little bit of time in non-clinical, as opposed to banging our heads again, yet again, on another cardiology ophthalmology course, that's the mistake I mean. Take a leap of faith. If somebody who knows what they're talking about in non-clinical, but understanding it in the veterinary context, I think that's one of the things that I see a lot is we look towards, for example, Head talks and we find this inspirational stuff about mm -hmm. some how Disney does it, and we go, not sure how that works in my little veterinary practice yeah. in any given English British town. So it's understanding how non-clinical, well-positioned non-clinical content helps us, as opposed to doing another clinical course. Absolutely, you know, I see that time and time again. Vets always feel that they don't know enough, you know, and then they and they see that as the solution. Yeah, you, like you say, more more CBD, and it's invariably it's it's clinical CBD that they can, that they go to. Can I jump in there, Sanjay? Sure. That's a really good point that you make. Is they think they don't know enough, and what they're confusing there is a lack of knowledge with situational uncertainty. Ah. So if you take the example, if I examine a dog, you examine a dog. We take a history. We take an exam. We've got a problem list: cough, sneeze, vomit, limb scratch, lump, pyrexia, whatever that might be. We've got a problem list. And there's only so much information we can get from our physical senses. Mm -hmm. So therefore, inevitably, there is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And what vets, when they feel this uncertainty, the mind says, I don't know enough. Yeah. Whereas actually what they need help with is saying, it's impossible to know with the physical senses. Mm -hmm. 
So stop thinking that more education, more knowledge will make you suddenly know what that lump is by feeling it, what that cough is by listening to it, what that heart murmur is by listening to it. Yeah. Actually, what they need help with is understanding situational uncertainty. They've actually, if I ask them the question technically, they go, I know that, I go, I know, but it's framing the uncertainty. Absolutely. That's what they struggle with. Wow, that's that's so valuable. I hope people listening to this take heed of that because that'll solve a lot of the a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the stress that they feel. Okay, so question number five: What is one valuable free uh, a valuable free action that someone listening to this can implement that would help them solve that problem? So something they could do. What's your top tip for that? So. It comes back to this uncertainty idea, and I'm going to use a clinical veterinary context. Of course, I refer to the various roles as vets, nurses, reception managers, all of which perceive uncertainty. But I'll give you an example for vets clinicians, because that's the one that tends to cause the most angst. And as I referred to it, is when you uh, list the symptoms or the problems that we have with a particular patient, number one point is always give a differential diagnosis list as opposed to not giving any differentials which is rare but what a lot of vets do is they go for one differential and when we're when we mean differentials we know that we're working on a presumptive diagnosis at that point of view we haven't confirmed it kennel coughs a classic yeah so it's presumptive the number one recognize that it's presumed or a, a diagnosis as opposed to definitive one Mm-hmm. And there's no shame in that. I say to clients, okay, so we're working on the presumption that your dog is kennel cough. Mm-hmm. Number two is when you're giving a differential, give usually two or three suspects. The human brain is very good at remembering three things. If you tell it more than three, it forgets number one and gets worried. Okay. So three differentials is enough. I, I recommend don't because three differentials accounts for 80% of most presentations. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense to rule out the three most common first. So number one is do a differential. Number two is if you are only go for three, we don't need to know the 29 causes of PUPD right down to Fanconi syndrome. Yeah. The clients go pop. Yeah. Um, and, and number three, um, whenever we're articulating differentials, and this is a critical one, mm-hmm. be wary of saying it could be X, it could be Y, it could be Z. When you ask clients about how they heard that, Whilst we mean could be, could be, it is hypothetically possible. Mm-hmm. What clients hear is, I'm not sure. So I encourage vets to articulate the differential diagnosis into the three most common causes of this symptom in this age of this species. The mm-hmm. three most common causes of coughing in middle-aged cats, for example, is number one, number two, number three. Okay. That comes across as factual, assured, but what we haven't said to the client is what this cat has got. But yeah. the clients go, okay, that sounds like you know what you're talking about. And that subtle twist in how we present things without any form of committing, over committing, it really, you watch the clients, you interview them afterwards and they go, that person knows what they're talking about. So what's wrong with your cat? Well, the vet wasn't sure. Absolutely. The vet wasn't sure, but yeah. the vet sounds like they might have a clue. Uh, I'll keep coming. That's the difference. Wow, that's such a good tip because that takes away the anxiety of having to come up with a, a diagnosis, which a lot of vets put themselves Absolutely. under pressure to do. You know, Absolutely. you can say, listen, I'm not sure what's going on here. Um, it's going to be one of one of these few things. And these are the steps that we need to take to narrow that list down. 
then yeah. you're really going into the investigation as well and trying to narrow the diagnosis down. Absolutely right. Our job is to guide the uncertainty. When you said reduce the anxiety, and it's because we're managing the uncertainty. We can't pretend to ever eliminate it immediately, but our job is to contain it, manage, 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 bring it down. Um, a phrase I'll use a lot is, there's not a bit in the world that can tell you what that lump is just by feeling it. Anybody that pretends they can, yeah. deluding themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Not in the world, I'll say. Not a bit in the world. I've been trying to do it for 25 years and I've realized I can't do it by feeling it. But what I can do is I've got a very simple little test. We'll pop a needle in and suck some cells. Absolutely. Wow. That's that's really useful, Brian. Thank you. Um, question number six, only two questions to go. What's one, one valuable free resource that you can direct people to that will further help with those, those problems we talked about? So obviously, I've got lots of resources that are paid for on uh, colorfulcpd.com, which is my paid on-demand website. But I have some free content on there as well. And the one that I created is called The Vet Whisperer. And The Vet Whisperer is my... It helps vets understand a lot of these invisible, anxiety-inducing elements of veterinary practice. Mm -hmm. And I basically produced it to help them. And what I talked about there, the management of uncertainty, the articulation of uncertainty, mm -hmm. and that's free of charge um, on my website. Uh, so they can just come register, it's there. And that gives you them also a flavor for what other courses I might do and other content that's there. So the Vet Whisperer is my most popular. That is sold, I say sold, it's free of charge, but that is going all around the world. Hundreds of vets all around the world have watched the Vet Whisperer. Wow, and that's just incredible value, um, Brian. So people should go onto thecolorfulcbd.com and on that site, they'll find a, um, a link or a tab to the Vet Whisperer. Fantastic. And finally, question number seven. What's the one question, Brian, that I should have asked you that I didn't? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, well, I suppose the question that I get asked in relation to this non-clinical is, how do I know whether the investment in non-clinical CPD is worth it? So let's take, for example, if we learn how to do a TPLO as a very specific example, we know, yes, the CPD costs X, and we know if we manage to master this skill, we can sell TPLOs for multiple axes ongoing. So there's a very clear return on investment. If we learn how to do the skill, we put a price on it on our price list, we sell it. And non-clinical, we don't sell those things that way, but we contribute to the leverage, if you like, of um, all those other products. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's the question that I get asked, which is maybe a version of how do people know that the investment is worth it? It's very, very difficult to quantify that. I guess what I do with my CPD is I say to people, if you don't think that you got the value of 100 pounds, for example, on my course over a lifetime, if it didn't give you 100 pounds of quantitative or qualitative value, I'll give you your money back. Absolutely. So in other words, we know there's a value. We just, we think it's probably worth more than a hundred pounds or whatever the course might cost, but we maybe don't know what that number is. And that's where the qualitative element of non-clinical CPD comes in much more than the quantifiable okay. but we all know it's like love how much is love worth yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so what you're saying is um we need to find well maybe we need a way of discriminating between what's worth doing 
uh, what's worth learning and what's worth and what's not, you know. And I can liken it to to life um, in general. You know, it would be a shame to get to the end of it, and you find you've been chasing the wrong dream or the wrong the wrong stuff. And there's so much CBD out there. There's so much content. It it is hard to decide what to do. You know, what to to go through. So thank you for that. That's that's really important. And people need to just take some time, I think, and think about that. You know, rather than just rush into something that they hope is going to solve an issue that it never was going to solve. Um, fantastic. Wow. Thanks, Brian. That was really interesting, you know, and I'm sure that our listeners will find that information really relevant and useful. Um, all it remains for me to say is thanks once again for joining me on this podcast, Brian. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, pleasure chatting to you, Sanjay. I wish you all the best and everyone out there all the very best. And if there's anything we can do to help, colorfulcpd.com. Thank you very much.